In this episode, I talk with Gabriella, a second-year medical student who just started her clinical clerkship year. We talk about her interest in mental health that began with her experience having a sibling with an eating disorder as a kid and that has continued through her own experience with mental illness. We talk about her shared experiences of having anxiety and panic disorders as medical students and dealing with mental health stigma in medical school and the field of medicine. She offers great advice on how to care for oneself mentally and how to extrapolate from your own experience to benefit and care for your patients. Hi, Gabriella. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's awesome to have you. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about yourself. So my name is Gabriella. I've, um, I would say I'm from one place, but I've moved around a lot growing up actually. <laughs> but so I lived in San Francisco, Dallas, Ann Arbor, Boston, St. Louis. Um, but I'm now here. I'm very happy to be at Michigan. I am a little bit about me. I guess I've always been really interested in mental health. Um, and treating mental health. It's been something that's been dear to me for a long time, just with growing up with personal things or family things. Um, it's just been something that's always been kind of a central tenet of my life. Um, so that's something I'm very interested in. Outside of that, I also enjoy yoga, mindfulness, um, cooking, friends, uh, just all the all those things that you know make life better every day. Yeah. But, Thank yeah. you, well-rounded human being. <laughs> Try to be <laughs> when time um, permits. <laughs> tell me, so um, going off of that, tell me about your journey to medicine. How did you decide you wanted to become a doctor? Yeah, so my both of my parents are physicians, actually. So I grew up surrounded by, you know, them reading like JAMA at, at dinner and and other kind of just always medicine was always around. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was definitely something I think that predisposed me to being inter- like curious about just the human body and science. Um, coincidentally, neither of my siblings went into medicine, so I don't think that's the only reason that I was interested in it. But I definitely am appreciative that I have that early exposure. And then I think throughout high school and then undergrad, I just, you know, I, I thought about doing other things. I was really interested in social work or psychology, um, but I just I could never, I never like got away from that curiosity with the human body and all that unknown that we had to explore in medicine. Um, so I think that really drew me to it through, through up until I applied to med school. So I think that combination of the curiosity with the human body and then the combination of, especially, like I said earlier, I'm interested in mental health and that's a field of medicine, like psychiatry specifically, that I'm super interested in. And and I like the, the combining of those two worlds of mental health and medicine, I think is really interesting to me. So yeah. I think that's where, where I came in, came into med school kind of at. Yeah. yeah. What has your experience in med school been like overall so far? I know. So you're um, just kind of getting into your second year, four mm-hmm. weeks in your belts, um, which is exciting. Congratulations. But mm-hmm. what is what has it been like for you so far? It's been good. It's been good. I mean, it's definitely busy. It can be chaotic. It can be a little overwhelming, but that's expected. I think I've been surprised at the like camaraderie between my classmates. It's It's very, I think we really try hard to work together and to support each other. So I think that's made a huge difference. I don't know if that's just a Michigan thing or if that's more widespread across the country, but I think that's been a really positive aspect of it. I think the first year compared to this year is totally, I mean, you know this, that's the the change is very drastic. Like being in the clinic now, um, it's a totally, it doesn't feel like the same school anymore. It feels like I'm working a full-time job, not like in school. It's definitely a different, a different feel, but it's been, I, I think I've been enjoying this year more. It's only four weeks in, but I, I love being like in the hospital with patients, with attendings, learning on this, you know, learning by doing is definitely something that resonates with me. So I think I've been enjoying this year a lot more. Yeah. But, um, yeah, there's, it's, it's been good. It's like very eye opening, and it's, I, I think it's helpful for me to just remember to be grateful for the experiences that we have here. Cause even if it's a rough day, even if it's, you know, a long day, there's, it's like, wow, but I got to see all these things that like, just if you pick someone up out of the random population, like they will never get to see that in their whole life. And I just got to see that for a whole day. And it's, yeah. it's, so it's, you know, it not that it's easy breezy, but it's definitely very, very interesting and very engaging. Yeah. 
I remember that about starting um, our second year where we go into our clinical clerkships. I think it was such a transition, especially because I went um, into family medicine first and mm-hmm. um, I was at a uh, clinic out in Chelsea, which is, you know, it's outside Ann Arbor. So it just felt like you're, you know, already in this different world of the clinical space and um, you're just learning in such a different environment and you feel kind of removed from like the school in a sense, because you're so like in such a different environment than, you know, learning in lectures and sitting by your classmates or being in small group learning. So it's, it's such a huge transition, but I agree with you. It's like really rewarding because you get to learn by doing and get to like start working with patients for the first time, which is um, just really exciting and and definitely rewarding. And so what, what, I know you said you started on surgery. So what surgery service were you on for this past month? I was on colorectal um, and I, I honestly, I really liked it. It was really, I think I got lucky because my team was just incredible and the attendings are great. The mm-hmm. residents I worked with, it's really like, I think you could be doing anything on any service. And as long as the team is great and supportive, you can really yeah. make anything fun. Um, so I'm very grateful that I had a good team on that service and yeah. learned a lot about the gut. <laughs> yeah, I do think definitely the people you work with really make the experience, um, which is it's kind of hard because, you know, you could definitely have just a team that doesn't vibe or, you know, is not the same energy and makes mm-hmm. the experience not as fun. But I think it's so rewarding to work with really amazing um, attendings and residents here at the University of Michigan. So yeah. um, I'm glad you had a, a great first month. It sounds like it was yeah. very exciting. Um, it was fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, I know you mentioned you're interested in in mental health and potentially interested in psychiatry, although maybe some other, you know, you're still early in your career. There's maybe some other interests there as well. But um, how did you how do you feel like you became interested in um, psychiatry and and mental health? Like what sparked your interest in these specialties? Yeah, so I think like in full transparency, when I was growing up, um, one of my siblings was in hospital for an eating disorder treatment for a while. um, And that was stuff I remember like I was in middle school at the time. And I remember going to the facility, like going to the hospital to, to check out, to like visit her every day and, and being surrounded by the, the treatment team, you know, social workers, psychiatrists, like all this, these different people on this team. And I remember being like, this is so cool what they're doing. They can actually like take this issue, this like medical issue that to me at the time when I was, you know, in fifth grade seemed like a very nebulous, like what on earth, how do we treat this kind of illness? And they could really take it and break it down and treat it and like, you know, and I don't want to say cure it, but, you know, they can really like make progress to like really change this person's life for like the long term. Um, So that was my first exposure to psychiatry, I think. And then after that, I, I purposely sought out other experiences in the mental health realm. I was an undergrad, I was a crisis counselor. I was, and I did a lot of outreach, community outreach for mental health programming and mental health resources. So I think I just, and I was a psychology major. So I just kind of kept finding more um, outlets for me to explore this interest and it definitely everything I did just made me more interested in it so that's so interesting like an experience of you know having a family member who's sick um, especially with a lot of mental health conditions are very stigmatized but eating disorders especially I wonder what that experience was like for you to kind of see this firsthand and um, maybe see it in a different light than someone who's not had that experience you know knowing someone personally who's been struggling I think it, it it really brings a different perspective to that experience would you say yes for sure yeah and I mean like even like my own personal like experience with mental illness and like I think you it's so easy to say like I hear a lot of people say like oh like bless psychiatrists like they do great work like but I can never which is fine like to each their own like not everyone obviously does not need to want to do that but I think it's kind of like this weird yeah there's like this weird view of mental health care is like oh like oh like they they can go do that like that's that's like a yeah. lot like it's kind of like viewed as like this like big mountain to climb and, and like it is we do have like a lot of work to do in the field to make it better yeah I think personally experiencing it and having like you said like having personal or like family connections to to people going through that treatment makes it feel a lot less like I don't know if nebulous is the right word but just a lot less it, I feel like it's viewed as kind of this like big black box of like oh like what do we do with that um but it's like no it's a real thing like it's real yeah. and we can do this and like and you can yeah and it, it definitely makes you obviously like more passionate about figuring out how to help treat these patients when you like have had it close to your to your family in your life but yeah 
Yeah, I was just on, I'm really interested in, I'm going into pediatrics, but I'm also applying into like pediatric psych programs. Um, And I, I was just on the uh, pediatric child or child and adolescent um, psychiatry consult service uh, a couple months ago in August and September. And it was very, it's very interesting because we see like mostly consults like in the emergency room and the pediatric emergency room. And well, the the offices are like in uh, the university hospital. So they're not in Mott, which is the children's hospital here. And psychiatry was the only department that was not moved to Mott. Like pediatric psychiatry was the only department that was not moved to Mott when um, it was first built. And so it's just like interesting to see like, that kind of psychiatry is separate from other every other like pediatric specialty. Um, mm-hmm. Like that is kind of how you set that up when you don't keep them, you know, with every other specialty. If you don't move them into Mott, you're kind of saying that when you when you structure it that way, which is really interesting. Um, I do agree. People really love to put psychiatry in its own bucket of like, you know, there's medicine, there's surgery, and then there's psychiatry. Like it's something yeah. separate. And yeah, um, you know, it, sometimes that's you know, important to say like psychiatry is a different, it's its own specialty. People should be specialized to care for people with mental health issues. But at the same time, it's not something that's so separate from the rest of medicine that they can't be, I don't know. It's so interesting Mm -hmm. that people really keep it as a separate entity. And Mm -hmm. I think that leads to a lot of stigma within the field of medicine itself. um, When you say psychiatry is its own thing and we don't, you know, we don't handle that that's for psychiatrists only so yeah yeah, it's very interesting um yeah exactly like a kidney doctor wouldn't be scared to like make a recommendation on like you know like a cardiac med change or something like that but like but when it's like a mental health issue like oh no no consult psych like no I'm not doing that like (laughs) yeah it's very interesting yeah yeah do you feel like there's been any experiences that you've had in medical school that have helped shaped some of your interests in your future specialty choice or kind of for your future career goals? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think the first year I feel like is, I feel like it was, it's harder to have those big kind of experiences that are going to shape what I want to do. So I'm really curious to see how this year pans out because I, I yeah. have, like, I'm sure you know that this year will be the one that will really help me. <laughs> yeah. But um, I think you know, I think I had one experience last year where I shadowed an uh, inpatient consult psychiatrist, and that was really interesting because I, before med school, I only had the concept of outpatient psychiatry as a specialty, and I, I honestly didn't even know that consult psychiatry was a thing that existed, nor was, I mean, I knew inpatient psychiatry existed, but I didn't know the, the you know, breadth of specialties you can have, like practice as an inpatient psychiatrist, and so that was really interesting for me to see a consult psychiatry position, because um, you still get to see you get to see patients of all ages, all backgrounds, all medical conditions, you know, like all over the hospital. Um, yeah. So that was really cool. And that kind of was like, oh, like I, that, that could be interesting to me because I know I, I also like, I think I also like working inpatient a lot. So um, I think that was something I was struggling with, with like, oh, psychiatry, but I also like inpatient work and I wasn't sure if I could do both of those at the same time for a career. Um, so that was enlightening. But um, other than that, I think so far I'm just trying to keep my mind open still to yeah. what I might want to do. Cause like I said, I mean, as, as you know, I've been very interested in psychiatry, but I also do, I do like working with my hands and doing things hands-on. So, you know, we'll have to see where that takes me, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> Definitely this year, your um, clerkship year is the year to explore. And I think it's so, so important to be open-minded about everything you go into, not only, or every, you know, rotation you go into, um, cause I think it makes you have more fun during empty year. Like if you're so closed off, like I don't want to do this and you know, less, it's less enjoyable. Mm-hmm. But I think keeping an open mind also helps you kind of explore different interests that you might not know that you even had. Pediatrics sure. not on my radar. I will say when I, when I did <laughs> a clerkship year and I ended up just loving my rotation. So yeah, you never know what's going to spark your interests. That's, that's so true. And someone gave me gr- really great advice to just, pretend like each rotation is like the thing you're going to go into and just approach yeah. it with that energy and excitement. And that's been, I tried to do that with surgery and it has helped a lot. Yeah. yeah. Much more engaged. Like I'm more engaged. It's more fun. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really good advice. Definitely. Yeah. 
So pivoting a little bit, I know one of the reasons you wanted to come and talk on this podcast was to talk a little bit about your experience with your own mental health. So tell me a little bit about your experience with anxiety and with panic disorder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I I like kind of had, you know, everyone has anxiety. I didn't really think much of it for most of my life uh, until undergrad. It definitely like was more noticeable. So I started seeing a therapist, um, got diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder, was working with her. She was great. And then the pandemic started. And <laughs> so yeah. March, March through May of 2020. And I had to quarantine alone for three months in St. Louis. Um, so that was definitely took a toll. And that was also the same time I was playing med school. So it was just, a, you know, oh, yeah. Stressful time. Yeah. yeah. And I had to do that by myself. So I think, I don't know if that's what like triggered anything. I don't know what exactly happened, but I know that around that time it was when I had my first panic attack. I distinctly remember I went on a run. It was a beautiful day. I just came back from a jog and I was doing like some, core strengthening exercises or something on like a yoga mat and I remember like my heart just all of a sudden started racing and then it felt like it wasn't beating and then I felt like I was going to pass out and then it was just this spiral and I was like what is happening I like was actually I was this close to calling an ambulance because I thought I was like gonna die and then I had this weird like gut feeling that I should call my mom first and I called her and she answered and she was like I think you're having a panic attack, like, because she apparently, little did I know, she also had experienced them when she was exactly my age, when she was applying to medical school as well. Oh, wow. Which is kind of funny, but um, yeah, so she, yeah, she was like, that sounds like that's exactly what's happening, and then we, you know, talked for a while, it passed, and then it happened again the next day, and then it was, it just started happening all just multiple times a week, so then I went to a cardiologist, actually, at WashU, got the whole cardiac workup it was it was probably overkill but it felt like something was wrong that at that time we like didn't know it for sure that it was panic disorder we were like yeah. something's going on but we don't know what so we went to went to a cardiologist got an echo got a stress test we got the whole works wore I wore a heart monitor for a month actually and they they were just like at the end of that month workup they were like yeah nothing's wrong like you're fine like your heart's fine and so that was not like you know it's good to hear that my heart is fine but at the same time it was not what I wanted to hear because I was like okay so something's yeah. still wrong though and we don't know what so that's when I finally saw a psych I got in yeah, at that time it was hard to see a psychiatrist as well but I finally got in with a psychiatrist at WashU luckily and um and yeah she was like no this is like textbook panic disorder yeah. <laughs> so and it's funny because you learn about you know like I said I was a psych major like you learn about these things in class and you know like I knew like logically rationally I knew like that, yeah. that probably what this was because it checked all the boxes but when it's actually happening to you, it feels so different than what any textbook could explain it as. Yeah. And it just doesn't feel like real. So getting that diagnosis officially finally was like, oh, okay, like that makes a lot of sense. But like, okay, now what do we do though? Because, yeah. you know, yeah. just knowing the diagnosis doesn't necessarily help. But so that was kind of, I don't want to go on for too long about it, but that was like kind of my initial experience with it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. That um, you touched on a lot of, like really, I think, in important things about, you know, that your experience with it. Obviously, going through a global pandemic um, exacerbates a lot of mental health pro- problems for a lot of people. And I think it, it it also applying to medical school and kind of being in this stressful point in your life, it speaks to a lot of, you know, kind of bubbling under the surface anxiety that can kind of mm-hmm. trigger some of these panic type symptoms for sure. Yeah. Uh, and someone who is as as someone who's also experienced a, a panic attack before, I think it's so hard to explain to other people sometimes because, like you said, we we know kind of the textbook definition and um, explanation of what it is. But you uh, mentioned, you know, you were just coming back from a run and sitting kind of peacefully and doing some exercises on a yoga mat, and all of a sudden have this experience. I think that's kind of opposite of what sometimes people especially like maybe media portrayals of a panic attack where you get all worked up and you're hyperventilating and you're, you know, mentally maybe panicking as well, where Mm -hmm. the experience actually, what I've had before is like, it feels like my body is doing something that is, my body is panicking and my mind is maybe, you know, worried that my body is panicking, but not necessarily like working myself up. And um, it's really hard to explain that to other people. Like it really feels like, okay, something is physically wrong with my body. I'm not anxious. Like 
I'm anxious because my body's doing something that I don't want it to be doing. And mm-hmm. so it's like, it's a weird, um, it's definitely a weird thing to explain to others. And I think that's why, uh, you know, getting another workup, like, you know, a physical workup or like seeing a cardiologist, it can be important because it's, it's hard, like it's, it's hard to explain to others what's going on and it, it can, you know, you don't want to just write it off as, it, you know, it's just a panic attack, right? When, you know, yeah. there could be something else going on, but also like, it is really scary to have that experience and to feel like your body's kind of beyond your control at that point. So mm-hmm. I, think that, I think that's like a very like classic um, experience with a panic attack is those kind of um, points of diagnosis and points of experience with the healthcare team as well, for sure. Yes. Yeah. It was definitely an interesting experience with the cardiologist team. They were so sweet. Like they were, I feel like they knew from the second I came into that clinic, they were like, this is definitely panic disorder. Like (laughs) I feel like they didn't have any doubt because I was, you know, young, healthy, no history of like any heart issues at all. Um, But I remember the, the tech that was doing my stress test was like, they were like, they were like straight up laughing while I was doing it. Cause I was like past, you know, they like make it more they're like make the incline steeper and they slowly speed it up and whatever and then they stop after a certain point but they just like kept going because they're like let's just see how far she can go oh, wow. like the healthiest person that's ever been on the stress test <laughs> you know it's people with like terminal heart, heart failure and like yeah. all these things so it's they were kind of like making a joke out of it almost like not like I, I, I don't know in retrospect I wasn't like upset by it but it was just interesting that they were like treating it as like oh yeah there's definitely nothing wrong with her there's no way like let's just like yeah happens like but like there definitely was some like the symptoms are real like I felt like I was like my heart didn't like it felt like something was really wrong like and they did take that like they did take that concern seriously but it's just kind of like the overarching like yeah the medical field in general I feel like does love that phrase you use that is the phrase I hear all the time of like it's just a panic attack like when when we're in like in class and like we're going through like differential diagnoses and it's like panic attacks always like at the end like oh like it, it could yeah. be that like that's just like a safety net like diagnosis but it's and yes I know technically we have to rule everything out before and I know that's how it works but it's it yeah it definitely feels like it gets brushed to the side it's like oh it's just this yeah it's just that it's fine like it's not a big deal yeah. <laughs> and it's yeah. it's frustrating because I I can understand of like so like the treatment and the like level of concern the the medical field might have if it's a panic attack is going to be different if it's like you know a heart attack obviously um but at the same time like anxiety and panic can make your body do really weird things i feel like even working as a medical student i've seen some pretty severe like panic and anxiety symptoms that are you know, really it's concerning to the patient. It's like a bad experience to have. And so I think we kind of write it off as like, oh, it's not a big deal because the underlying etiology maybe is less concerning, but like what it can actually make patients feel and experience is, you know, it can be really intense. And so I think to take that seriously is, is always important. Yeah, no, for sure. Like the physical anxiety symptoms are, this is, I guess this is something interesting from the last four weeks on surgery. Like I, we, you know, the, the pre-op H&P that we do on, on patients before they come back to the OR, I, like, you know, some of the questions are, do you have any chest pain? Do you have any lightheadedness? Or, and like, some people will say like, I, I remember one patient said like, yeah, my chest hurts, but I think I'm just anxious because they have like a history of the anxiety and the chest pain associated with anxiety that, um, and it's so, and I just, it's so easy for us to be like, okay, like, not real yeah. chest pain then but like I know like not to like say anything ill of anyone like I get it it's not cardiac chest pain like it's not yeah that we need to work up right now that we need to treat right now like I know that but it's just so like the mentality towards that is like oh it's just it's just anxiety chest pain okay like check yeah yeah but like that just I'm so I know I'm so hyper attuned to that I hear that I'm like I get you like yeah, but, yeah. So what has your experience been like with your panic disorder since receiving the diagnosis and Mm -hmm. also as being a medical student and being in medical school? Yeah. So I, so honestly, for the first like year and a half of having the diagnosis, I didn't really, I like took some like PRN meds. I didn't like really, I didn't see like a therapist because it was the pandemic and it was literally impossible to find a therapist. Um, And I just kind of 
managed it mostly by myself with like mindfulness and like running and yoga but it was that was rough I would not recommend that but I finally like when I moved to Michigan to start med school I I found a therapist well I found a psychiatrist actually first and then and she's great and we like got a lot of we made some progress together but I realized probably much later than I should have that I needed a therapist that could work with panic disorder specifically. And no one had ever really told me that. I don't know. That just like never occurred to me or the medical treatment teams I was with, but it's just like, like if you have a rare congenital heart defect, you would go to see a cardiologist that specializes in that, in that, like in congenital heart defects, but then you wouldn't go to like a pulmonologist, (laughs) but like, it's kind of with mental health, but we like, don't really think about it like that. It seems like I just was told to like, go to a therapist and I went to a number of therapists and none of them were able to help me with the panic disorder specifically till like recently this, the beginning of this past summer, a couple months ago, I found someone who specializes in exposure response therapy for panic disorder. But yes, I can tell you more about that if you want, but it's, yeah, so the, the the journey with it was really, I nothing happened for like the first year and a half or so. And then like two years in, I finally started seeing that therapist. And I finally feel like I got help from like the proper care that I needed. It took yeah. two years to get to that proper care, which is kind of wild to me that I was just like, okay with dealing with it for that long. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if it was just the pandemic exacerbating, you know, like the mental health care system was really being pushed to its limits and they were very understaffed and I understand that but I wish I had been able to get to care sooner for sure it's it's a lot of like the pandemic exacerbating it but also like we just have so few resources for psychiatry and like therapy in general like Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the time like I'll even talk to my psychiatrist and she'll be like, you know, you kind of just have to see who's available in terms of therapy, especially if you need it sooner rather than later. It's Mm -hmm. kind of like, you know, a lot of people will talk about shopping around, trying to find the best therapist for you, but I'm like, that's actually really hard to do. Um, It takes time and it takes money and um, like trying to find someone who specializes in what you might need could be really difficult, especially like the more resource limited areas you're in or Mm-hmm. I don't know, like just finding someone who's specializes in anything can be difficult within the mental health realm, realm. So I think, yeah, I think probably a lot of that had to do with uh, the pandemic also making that like bottlenecking the resources that we have. And we have more need for people to see um, therapists and psychiatrists too during that time. So yeah. yeah, I'm sorry you had to, yeah, struggle through that without the support you needed, but tell me a little bit about um, what it's been like now kind of finding a, a therapist who helps with this and who, um, you know, how has that really impacted your life, especially being in medical school? Like having panic disorder in med school is tricky because it feels like an invisible thing that people don't like it's not like I have this like very apparent like you know condition or disability of some sort that's very obvious to people that they need to make an accommodation for me or they would need to be aware of this but it's internally you're like your brain's like screaming at you every time you see a patient you're like what if I have a panic attack right now and I break like I'd have to leave the room and they're like why is she acting so unprofessional or you know like there's just so many stressors that you can't control that you can't control when you have a panic attack and that makes it worse and more likely that you're going to have one so I think yeah so the first year I think I was lucky that a lot of it was hybrid a lot of it was like you know the classroom learning not a lot of in the hospital one on you know with attendings or with patients not a a whole lot of that which I think was probably helpful for me because that would have been rough with my the state of my panic disorder at that point um but since finding a therapist I like I I'm so grateful. I cannot tell you how grateful I am that I found this therapist before the M2 year started because I, she has like fully changed my life. Like going into this year, I feel like we, the work that we did together, we worked all summer. Like every, I did, I, I did my own like homework every day over the summer and we saw each other every week. Um, and it was, it was, it was not fun. We do the exposures. So we, she had me doing essentially like you just try to trigger panic attacks and, and just work through them. Uh, so you know, it was definitely unpleasant. It was like, why, like, I already feel gross from my panic attacks. And now I have to make myself feel worse all the time to, to treat them. But I'm glad that we did it. It definitely helped me have a healthier relationship with the panic and just 
I think my brain, it really is like a rewiring of your brain to like react to the physical symptoms like we were talking about earlier, the, the physical symptoms that your body has and then your brain takes and just goes on a whole spiral of, of panic with. It really like helped reconnect like or more appropriately connect physical symptoms with how my brain reacts to them now. And I think it's been like instrumental in my wellness from the last just four weeks starting on this uh, on M2 year. I think it would have gone a lot differently if I had not seen this therapist. Yeah. 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 yeah I'm so glad that you were able to find a therapist that's obviously is a lot of hard work seeing a therapist and doing the homework and doing the work to to help yourself but I think it's great especially going into M2 year because it's such a you know busy and challenging year as well but it could definitely I think I've so I've had um, an exacerbation of panic and anxiety while I'm on like a rotation and it's really hard to kind of balance that like you know, what am I, what do I need to do for myself? While also like, I have a lot of other clinical responsibilities that I need to do and how to kind of work through that can be really challenging. So I think it's great that you have the support going into it, going into M2 years is really great. Mm -hmm. I also had that at the same time, like I was like, okay, I need to have this support going on at the same time. And I think that makes it feel a lot better. So when there is kind of an exacerbation, you can be like, well, I have everything in place. I just kind of need to do the work to figure out, you know, what's triggering this and how can I, you know, make things better for myself. But it's yeah. good to hear that things have been a lot better. And um, sounds like you've kind of been able to find a place where things are, I like that you said, like, hey, you have a better relationship with your panic disorder. I think that's a really great way to put it. Yeah, because yeah, it's never going to go away. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> technically. Yeah, but, like, that's kind of, you know, the mentality, I think, especially as med students, we have, we're so perfectionist, we're very like type A a lot of the time, you know, we're like, has to be like all or nothing. But that's not how it works with this. And I just like, when I accepted that, I think that made the treatment way more effective, like just accepting like, you know, this treatment isn't to make you never have a panic attack again for the rest of your life. The treatment is to like, make you like react to a panic attack in a way that you can still continue to go about your day and not yeah. let it completely derail your day or week. And that, I think that kind of paradigm shift into like my head of just how I even understand panic attacks and like how to like embrace them almost has helped yeah. me a lot. like instead of being so scared of them which yeah. is what I was which is why it's a disorder <laughs> um that's I like it's like really kind of embracing them and being like okay like like this is gonna happen like it's gonna happen I'll get through it and we're gonna move on and just kind of having more of a so what attitude about it yeah super helpful yeah, that yeah. makes sense. It's okay. yeah, it's like a it's such a hard feeling because you you like have one and you're like, oh, I don't know why that happened, but mm -hmm. it's like it was scary and it was awful to have. And so you're like, I don't want to have one again. <laughs> and so you just like make yourself like it's almost like you make them happen because you're so scared of them happening. And mm -hmm. I talked about that with my therapist too. It was like, yeah, that's kind of part of it. You like feed into it this kind of fear. And so the, for me, it was like a lot of the baseline you know, body checks and like making sure, you know, if I have a little bit of underlying anxiety, how do I deal with it in this moment? It's not a panic attack yet. So how do I kind of help myself to feel better? So I'm not constantly worrying about, you know, things coming back and getting worse. So mm -hmm. yeah, yeah it, it can take a lot of work and a lot of practice to, to, you know, help yourself in those moments too. Yes, for sure. Yeah. And I'm curious to see, like, I'm, I would honestly be curious to know, like, what you've used to help you in those moments when you, like, because I've been lucky that the last four weeks have weirdly gone okay. And I'm kind of like, I feel like I'm almost like walking on eggshells, like expecting, I'm like, well, some things it's going to derail at some point, or like, you know, like, I'm going to have one unexpectedly at some point. And we'll just have to see, because I think in one year, it's so much easier when you, I, like, when I have panic attacks, at least I like, I feel like I'm out of commission for like a day or two, honestly, like it like really derails the rest of like, it's really hard for me to focus. It's really hard for me to like do anything, like go out, run, do anything that usually would make me feel better. So, and but you just don't really have time for that. Like I'm too sure I feel like it's a lot harder to yeah. just kind of check out or like stay in because you have to be at the hospital. Um, so curious, yeah, if you have like anything that you feel with that's happening, like when you're in the clinic or a hospital. I think for me, I... I really internalized my panic attacks because I've, I've had them for a long time, honestly, like ever since I was maybe like 13 and I haven't had them like, you know, all the time, every day kind of thing. It's been like, you know, my first one was when I was younger, but 
kind of got them under control. But like you said, it's like a lifelong process. Like sometimes they come back and get worse. And um, I think I, so I recently had an exacerbation over the summer, um, which I don't know what it was. I think it was a combination of things and I needed a little bit of tweaking of my medications and um, working with my therapist, but I was definitely having them while I was on a rotation and having them like in clinical spaces. And like I said, I really like internalize them so I can kind of have a panic attack and be in a space and like work through it. And no one really knows I'm having one, but I'm like internally, like I'm dying. Um, so I think that's helpful for me that I can, I know I can have one in a space and, and not have to, like, I'll, if I need to step out, I'll be like, you know, I have to step out of this moment or, and come back. Um, mm-hmm. But thankfully I haven't had a situation where it's like, I need to step away for like, you know, any more than a couple of minutes. Um, but I definitely think there's always space for that um, for students who, you know, struggle with anything. If you are not feeling well, like you can say, like, I do not feel well. I don't feel like I can stay, you know, if I have to stay the rest of the day, like if you need space and need to take time, there's always like the ability to do that. But I think recognizing like, okay, I need a couple minutes is always helpful for me. Um, And also just uh, like, I think, throughout the day, like checking in with myself is super helpful. Like if I'm sitting and writing a note, I'm like really attentive to, is there any tension in my body right now? Like that is really something that helps to kind of stave off any panic attacks for me. Cause I think I can kind of hold tension in my body and then it'll spill over into a panic attack at a later time in the day. And so those are kind of the things that I've done to help myself, but it's really hard because I, you know, it's, it's such a stigmatized thing. And I don't want to like be like, oh, I'm, I'm feeling anxious. I have to leave. You know what I mean? And so I think just being like, yeah, I'm sick. I'm not feeling well. Like this is a panic disorder. Like it's, you don't have to explain to anyone what's going on with you, but it's definitely something that makes you sick and unwell. You need to step away if it's not, if it's getting in the way of clinical work and things like that. So that would be my advice for, for how to deal with that in clinical spaces. But I would, I would echo that it's difficult. It's hard. It's not always easy for sure. Yeah, no, that's helpful. Yeah. I think that's, that's like, that's also, I guess that's another piece of it was like with like accommodations in terms of like accommodations the school has given me for the panic disorder. I don't know if you've had any experience with that, but I remember talking because I've never I had never gotten accommodations for it before because I it started right when I was finishing undergrad so I had never experienced it in an academic space um so I yeah so I kind of I remember meeting with the academic you know services coordinator and and being like so I have this like is this even something that you can accommodate like is this like does this count like I remember being just like very skittish and kind of yeah what could you even do to help but like what if I have one during I remember my big fear was we had a quiz the first week of school and I was like what if I have one during the quiz and it's time and it's recorded and like what are like what is like what is what's going to happen with that and then you know now in the hospital you know if I have one while I'm in the OR or in with a patient room doing a history with a with an attending or something and I have to just suddenly walk because for me they come on like in a millisecond they'll come on like so bad so I'm like it will be I know it will be sudden if I have to leave the room like I'm gonna leave like I'm just gonna leave so I remember being like what should I do like what do I do in these situations and they kind of didn't really have a great answer for me they were like you can just you can leave and we can write you a note that says like she was excused because of the flare of her condition and be like super vague which is nice like it's very nice of them to offer to help in any way they can and they were definitely were super Charlotte I think she's now retired but she was working with me at the time in the accommodations office and she was definitely like very sweet very much tried to help me get whatever accommodation I needed but it's just like a hard thing to write an accommodation for there's not really a good way to do it um and that's not really her fault but I was thinking like I don't know what I would want them to do like it's not like they're not doing their job I don't even know what I would want like there's not really a great way to, to yeah put that into an accommodation except for just like yeah like excusing her when she needs to be excused but that's like so vague and I feel like I remember being like oh but that's gonna they're gonna be like what like why (laughs) I always remember thinking like I would get judged for that or like just having this vague excuse just sounds like bs or something like not yeah but yeah yeah it's hard I think I think for me like since it's such like a 
any any like mental health diagnosis can be so stigmatized but like anything like health wise I'm like it's really not anyone else's business what's going on but like if you need to be excused or accommodated you should have the same like ability to have that at like any other physical condition that you might have you know I just kind of imagine it like that like nobody needs to know but sure it's like an emergency and you would need to leave the room and so I I kind of think of it like that and you know or try and like you know make it seem like or think of other conditions that might have similar kind of um, accommodations that you might have to have yeah, that's, that's kind of what I think about it. Um, and I think it's, uh, you know, I was going to ask what sort of accommodations you might feel would be helpful, but I think, like you said, it's kind of hard to know, like, what is, what is the best thing to do? And in, in yeah. those situations, for sure. I mean, I think like they did, I, they did do something that was really helpful for testing specifically. They, Charlotte kind of made, I honestly don't know how it worked exactly, but she was like, if you have a panic attack during an assessment, just like close your computer and somehow it will pause and save where you are and just like go have the panic attack yeah, and then come back and open the computer and you can just start where you left off. And I'm like, like I never I was like okay like that sounds like that seems like because usually like I said like I might be out of commission like the rest of the night yeah. but we kind of just were like let's just try it and see how it goes like we'll give you like 30 minutes or something I think she gave me like an hour to come back and open it again um which is which I found that really helpful because I think just the I like just the knowledge that I could pause it if I had to help prevent the panic from happening in the first place so I think that was really helpful actually um so shout out to Charlotte for helping come up with that because that was helpful but yeah so that was helpful but I think yeah in terms of the like in the war, like in the, in the hospital, in the clinic, it's, it's tricky. Cause it's like, it's, it's hard for me to like leave the room and come back and like, just not say anything. Like, sorry, I had to. Yeah. Something. yeah. Like <laughs> just to be very vague. I feel like they yeah. kind of expect, I, or maybe it's just me placing this pressure on myself, but I feel like there's an expectation of them, like, of like you saying like, Oh, sorry, I felt lightheaded or like you have to yeah. say something like yeah. to not Thanks just, yeah. but I think, yeah. I'll get back to you at the end of this year. If yeah. I have more ideas on that. Yeah. I think it's, it's so hard. Like I, I honestly don't have any, any uh, like examples of like um, when I had to leave a room. Cause I, I usually unfortunately like suffer through it a lot of the time. And I think that's probably not the best thing to do, but it's kind of, I I've had many in my life to the point that I'm like, yeah, I, I know how to suffer through them and I know how to kind of just let mm-hmm. it ride but I think that's also something that helps me is reminding myself like all panic attacks end. I I like will say that mantra over and over to myself when I'm having one because I'm like, this is going to end and it's like, I will come out of it and yeah, it's going to maybe suck afterwards and I'll feel kind of, I, I feel like I always get really tired and I'm like, oof, that was like a lot of work to go through a panic attack. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm like, I just remind myself that they end and, you know, I'll come out the other side and kind of either be able to continue with my work or, you know, take a couple breaths and get back into it. And I, that's also helpful for me too. No, but hopefully, good. hopefully this year goes really well. And I, I hope you don't um, experience a panic attack in a clinical space. And yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> I have a, a question kind of related more towards stigma around mental health. Um, mm-hmm. Do you feel like you've experienced any um, stigma around mental health, not just your own, but just like in general in medical school? You know, I think that's a good question. I think like it, like it's an it's a space where you could talk about it if you wanted to like I'm a very open person I talk about it a lot because I think it's not talked about enough and I feel like I would have loved like hearing other people talk about like specifically panic disorder in my case before like I you know went through the whole like year and a half of dealing with it by myself you know like so it's it's always just nicer to know when other people are experiencing similar things and you can talk about it and that just I feel like that always just helps with managing um but it's like I feel like I could talk about it and I feel like there isn't like I wouldn't you know there wouldn't be like retaliation or like I wouldn't get in trouble for talking about it with like an attending or in like my doctoring group or or something like that but I do feel like it's kind of more of like a subtle stigma of like people just don't though like like you could talk about it and it'd be fine but then I feel like there's kind of like this 
a backhanded stigma of like like in talking about it it's like oh like she's just the girl that like only talks about this like because like no one else is so then it's like almost I know what you're saying like it's almost like so I don't know anyone else who's like in medical school talking about their experience with anxiety like panic disorder specifically and so I think it's it's almost like an unspoken like that's the stigma is like nobody's really talking about it and like there's probably is space to talk about it you're right and like I think you speaking about it like you're almost trying to demonstrate like there isn't that stigma because there's space but there is because yeah nobody else is talking about it so you're the only one talking about it and it it kind of like it makes it feel like okay that's you know different it's weird it's it, I think that's kind of like the stigma that I've I've noticed about it is like yeah. Yes, yeah, so you know it's okay to talk about our mental health, but when you do talk about it, like, oh, you're you're the one talking about it, and you're you're kind of like it's just a weird a weird stigma, I would say. Yeah, because it feels like, I guess in my head, I'm like, oh, there's no stigma because I'm comfortable talking about it, but that's not like, but or like that's like the world that I would like to like you said like by talking about it, hopefully like we can relieve some of that stigma, but but then it just it starts to feel like if I'm the only one talking about it all the time, like I'm just trying to talk about myself or something where I like, I don't want to be like that. You know, I don't want to take up too much space in, in like the classroom or, you know, by talking about my experience with anything, but if no one else is saying anything, then like, who's going to open the floor to that, you know? So it's this like weird kind of, yeah, it's like not like if I said something, I don't think I would be, you know, if I told my, like, I'm just picturing like being in my doctor group, I've had a panic attack in the doctor like class before. And I've like, I've never like said that explicitly, but I've like kind of like hinted at like why I needed to like leave the room at, at times. And like, I know I could probably just say it and no one would judge me and it would be fine. Like, so like, there's maybe no stigma if I like need help, like people wouldn't be like, oh, like, but there is definitely that stigma that would just prevent me from just like being super open about it in the first place. And just like saying, being honest and upfront about it because yeah. like people don't want to hear it or like people just like aren't interested in talking about it you know they'll be supportive of it but they just don't want to talk about it you know like that kind yeah. of what do you think are some things we can do within medicine and like the culture of medicine in general to kind of combat that stigma of mental health issues within providers or to kind of even think about like this culture that per- like demands perfection from trainees in medicine that's the question. That is the question. Um, yeah, maybe that's just the, the question. Yeah. There's no, way. no, that's like, a, that's the important question. I think yeah. it's so tricky because it's like, you know, on one, one line of thinking that I always have when I hear that question is like, well, to combat it, we just have to like, just face it head on and be super open, like have everyone talk about their mental health, just like you know, like if everyone can feel comfortable talking about their mental health, then it will become less stigmatized and everyone will feel more supported. And like, it's, you know, it's easy to kind of paint this picture of like, if we could just be so open, it would be better. But then, you know, you run into like, well, not everyone wants to talk about it. Like it is a personal thing. So like, just because you want to make a space where people are comfortable to talk about, it doesn't mean even like that people will want to, and you don't want to force anyone to, you know, share things about themselves that they don't want to, or just, um, or like yeah I mean everyone's not there's just no world in which everyone's going to be comfortable talking about their mental health in front of others so it's tricky I think it definitely smarts starts at like a smaller scale like I think large-scale hospital-wide change is hard but I think in like small groups and at the beginning of med school like start early start small and make sure that students know that it's okay to share about your mental health it's okay to ask for help it's okay to be curious about like I remember there were like students in my class that they were very honest about the fact that they didn't really know much about mental health and they just they were like but I would love to learn like I don't really know what this looks like or how it presents but I like want to know and just kind of having those open conversations where people also on the flip end like you don't want people to feel like you know like shamed that they don't know everything about mental health or you know like it's it's such a spectrum of like what people come in comfortable with and comfortable knowing and talking about so I think starting small is definitely helpful because then that's how you like hopefully in theory like propagate the change throughout like then if they if like the first class is comfortable then they'll help the next class be comfortable and then they just kind of in theory would propagate and that 
perfectionism like you said is so like the ideal the physician is this like untouchable like perfectly healthy person that like always has their stuff together that's such a it's such a pervasive thing and I don't know why it's become like that but I definitely remember feeling like when my panic disorder started I had like a little crisis because I was like I can't be a doctor and have panic disorder like that thought was so that was like the first thing that came to mind when I started having the panic disorder I was like can I because I was also applying to med school at the time I was like I can't can I do this like should I stop applying like which is like wild to me in retrospect that I even thought that because that's not true at all and it's I think makes you a better physician if anything yeah you can relate to your patients more um but yeah so I think uh, it's it's tricky I think just like encouraging the higher ranks of physicians to be more open and to like be more accepting of mental health would also be helpful but that's kind of easier said than done but (laughs) yeah you know I mean even stuff like this is like specific but we've been like I remember our first year they had a physician panel of of physicians at Michigan who are recovering from substance use disorder and it was really empowering it was incredible to see these people who went through like an addiction and then now are in recovery and like they have these beautiful careers and beautiful families and they are I think they're like they are really big for me at least and for a lot of the students we found them to be role models in the sense of you know you can you can have a mental health and you can have a successful career and you can be a great physician and like sorry I said you can have mental health you can have a mental illness and be a great physician and like learn and like extrapolate a lot from your own experience and help and like even if you're not a psychiatrist you can still extrapolate any experience you have from your own mental illness and help patients in any field so I think that was incredibly powerful and we're trying to actually work on having more panels like that just more panels of physicians with mental illness um with mental disorders and having them speak about their experience like maybe what they the struggles they faced um because of their mental disorder or the uh or just you know whatever obstacles they've had to jump through like what we've talked about just even getting accommodations or like stuff uh just stuff down the line that we don't even know what's going to happen yet um i think that would be really helpful also to kind of get the insight of people who have been through it because we know that like we know there are people it's just they're not very on average people aren't very vocal about it but there are definitely people who like have had similar experiences to you and I that have gone through training residency you know they've become successful doctors and they probably have some insight to share about yeah. that process yeah uh, so I would love to kind of open up that conversation between like the generations or between the like you know the, the spectrum of trainees to physicians and yeah. just talk more openly about it I feel like that would help a lot but it's so much easier said than done but that's so powerful we didn't have that when I was a first year and I think that that's really incredible like you said it like provides uh, role models to see like yes this is possible and people do this and mm-hmm. I think that's really amazing that's incredible and I think yeah that. and not just you know mental illness although that's like something that's super important but physical illness chronic yeah. illness like things like that I think is so important to to witness and see and hear about in other physicians and training mm-hmm. and I think like you said it it opens up that that culture in medicine where people might feel more comfortable talking about it but also it doesn't demand like you said that everyone speaks about it like having a panel mm-hmm. of people who are interested in talking about it I think is super powerful I'm I'm glad you guys had that experience your first year yeah it was great it was great it's it's yeah it's kind of just like where it makes me think of like even like with physical health or mental health like the there's you know there's so many like support groups for patients with certain medical conditions you know it's kind of like the same idea like which mm-hmm. is for physicians because we kind of are in this weird unique role where we're supposed to be like where we're supposed to like come off as like very healthy appearing because we're the ones treating people so we want you know like that weird yeah about like the physician being healthy that we were talking about, I think it's kind of a similar idea, just like being like having support of people who are going through similar things in whatever, in whatever health or illness or specialty, it's just helpful to just like be in it together. Yeah. It makes more sense. You can share the, share the knowledge, like share support. You've touched on this a little bit, but how do you feel like your experience with panic disorder has influenced your view of yourself as a future doctor? good question I think 
I feel like it has made me a lot more empathetic. I think I was, I, was, I mean, I definitely am I'm an empath at baseline, but I think it's made me very acutely aware of listening to patients' concerns and really taking them seriously. I think we get so, or in medicine, it's just so easy to become jaded or tired or assume things of your patients. Oh, they're saying this symptom. It really means this. Or, you know, like we just build all these heuristics because we have to, because we have to be efficient because we see 25 patients a day. And, you know, it's, it's, it's like, it's easy. I could see why it'd be easy to fall into these, into these like kind of, that's the word, like, word, like behaviors that I, that I notice in a lot of doctors. And I understand, like, I'm, you know, not to say anything ill of anyone. I totally understand, like, people are overworked. The system is very overloaded and it's, it's definitely tricky. But I think, like, that's one thing that I really want to stick with me, like, throughout my training and throughout my career is really being present and really being and really like listening to what people are saying. Cause that was my experience with panic disorder. When I was telling people, like when I was telling doctors what was going on, I could definitely tell which ones were really listening to me and taking me seriously and not blowing off my concerns or not just putting me into a bucket of like, Oh, that's low acuity, like whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that is like, can be like life-changing for patients. I think is like just having someone that's really there for them and like not adding any meaning to their words beyond like what they're just saying to you and just really taking what they're saying and and taking it to heart yeah I think is has been helpful so I hope that I mean I think that will be helpful in in any field of medicine um and really like getting to know the person as a whole I think has also been something that has that I've learned from my experience with panic disorder because like from the outside you wouldn't I don't know I feel like I got a lot of surprise looks from physicians they're like you have panic disorder I was like I like you can't like why would you be surprised from that yeah yeah Yeah. I don't know so like just kind of not assuming things about people yeah something I learned a lot from my experience yeah I think that makes a lot of sense and yeah I think it's you touch on a lot of important things um about how to be a doctor and how to uh, work with patients but there's something about you know experiencing something yourself and being you know, sick yourself and um, it kind of changes the way that you maybe you conceptualize or, or think about things or think about how you interact with patients in a, like a positive way. And kind of my last question is what advice do you have for other medical students or trainees who might be struggling themselves? Yes. So I would say talk about it. <laughs> As you could tell, that's one of my go-tos, but I really think like finding those people in your life, whether it's peers at med school or family or friends from undergrad, wherever, I think being able to talk about it really helps, whether it's out loud or in a journal, like just wherever you can get it down. I think that's super helpful to kind of, you can just like get out how you're feeling and it's helpful to kind of to like see that progression I think for me it was helpful to kind of see like oh like maybe like on this day I felt bad and oh like maybe it was related to this thing that was happening so you can kind of figure out how to help yourself more from from that but also just get I would say also find a therapist I know it's hard I know it's really hard but find if you can find a therapist and find one who you know if you have if you have like OCD panic disorder if you have like there are certain um anxiety disorders that are much more that respond really really well to exposure response prevention therapy so if you can find a therapist that does that i would highly recommend it it's it's you know like i said it can be hard but i think it's worth the wait to get in with those people i also think finding a psychiatrist is a good idea i'm a big fan of that as well i think i mean in my experience i think i like therapy was more effective than yeah. medication for me. Um, and I think that tends to be true for panic disorder, but I would really say like, just bolster your support. Like, just like, like get as many different avenues of support that you can. Like I said, friends, families, psychiatrists, therapists, like just, I think having a ton of support and having a ton of people around you can be really helpful to yeah. just begin with you and to, so you can, so you don't have to do it all by yourself. Cause that can be overwhelming, but <laughs> I would say that. And just don't like, don't, don't believe anything that you hear or, or feel about you not being worthy to do this career or you not being like fit to do this just because of 
any sort of like a mental health condition, disability, anything like chronic illness, like there, there's nothing that can, if you want to do this and you're here for the, like you're in it to help people and you're in it for patients, like don't, don't let anything hold you back. Like if you need to take care of yourself, take time to do that and do that. But, you know, I would just say like, don't give up, just keep going, <laughs> which is, I know you vague, but you know, in whatever way that you can, like, just, just like, make sure you, you stay in touch with like, what makes you happy and like, what makes you, what, what, you know, fuels the fire in your belly, like what makes you passionate yeah. and I focus on that. And I think that can really help too, remind yeah. you with what you're doing, why you're doing it. Yeah. Well, that, that is great advice. Um, thank you so much for, for sharing your story with us today. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you want to mention or any last thing you want to chat about? I think, uh, thank you for listening. I appreciate you having me. Um, yeah. it's, yeah, I just, like, I, like I said, I think just the more people, can be open about their experiences with specifically, I mean, with anything, but with anything that really like is something people struggle with. I think that we can just come together and, and share experience and share support. And that will make us all better physicians. If we can support each other, then we can support our patients. So yeah, I, yeah, I don't know, but thank you though. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your story and for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Distant Moon, Stories of Healthcare Education. You can find us on oxycardia.com, Spotify or Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.